Hello, and welcome to the Jill Cruz podcast. This is Jill Cruz. Today, I had an incredible conversation with Robin Wilson. And about two years ago, Robin was a teacher, and everything changed in her life at the age of 36, just before her 37th birthday, when she had a stroke. It was completely unexpected and sudden. And thankfully, she survived. And she really had to go through the process of healing, but also taking on a different perspective around her life. And when something like that happens, it does change your perspective. So Robin is super excited about how her life has changed and her mindset. And she is going to share with us in this episode how things have changed in her mindset. And I think this is really beneficial for all of us. We don't hopefully have to have a stroke to reorient to what's important in life. And so Robin talks about what's important for her and how her perspective has changed. So it's a really fascinating conversation. Enjoy. Hello, Robin. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today with me. Thank you for having me. Yeah, sure. So we're going to start off by talking about what sounds like an incredible experience, not not a fun experience, but it sounds like it changed your life. So to almost, just almost two years ago in February, it'll be two years at the age of 36, just before your 37th birthday, you had a stroke and that I'm sure changed your life. So what happened? Did you know, you know, tell us your story. And also, I'm just curious, did you, did you have any idea that this was coming or did it just come completely out of the blue? Well, I've always been active and health conscious. And so, no, it was not something that I had anticipated. In fact, I did not have the typical risk factors that you think of when you think of someone who's at risk to have a stroke. I did not have high blood pressure. I am not a smoker. And I was actually vegan at the time I was vegan. I worked out at the gym every day and I was an online teacher. I'm a certified teacher and I was teaching online at the time and I was up late preparing for the following day. And I had just spoken to my husband who had laid down before me and I told him that I was calling it a night. I had put my things away and laid down. And right when I laid down is when I felt different. I expressed to him that I felt different. And what I did not realize at the time was that my speech was impaired. Hmm. He sat up in the bed and he said, what? And I thought that he just didn't hear me because, again, my clarity of thought was there, but my expressive speech was impaired. And then after he said it again, it's when I hurt myself. I hurt myself and I knew that I wasn't making any sense. So literally my language, it sounded like gibberish. And I thought, because that was the only thing that, I experienced at that point, well, maybe I'm just tired because I think that my husband thought that there was more going on. I think that he suspected that maybe perhaps I was having a stroke, but I did not think that I was having a stroke because when he asked me, can you feel my touch? I could. My face was not drooping. 
I had all of my motor functions. And so I asked them if I could just go to bed because I was just really extremely tired. And he wanted to take me to the hospital, but I slept for six and a half hours. And then in the morning, when my speech had not returned to its baseline, he said, let's go. Yeah. And he uh, had me to call my employer and and I managed to let her know that I would not be able to make it in. I, I could not tell her what was wrong, you know, but uh, at that point, even though my speech was not gibberish anymore, it still was not fluid. And in fact, when my husband and I reached the hospital, we were only allowed to he was only allowed to drop me off because of of COVID. Uh, the regulations that they had at that point, they would not let him come in with me. So I had to go in by myself. And when I did, the triage nurse asked me for my name and my birthday, and I could give her my name. However, I could not say February. And it wasn't that I did not know my birthday. It was simply that the words, I could not get the words to come out. And that's when they ran tests and they really realized that I had a stroke. But I think that they were perplexed too because I had muscle strength, my motor skills were still intact and nothing, no other symptoms aside from this, the expressive speech impairment and the imaging helped them to see the blood clot that was on my brain. Wow, that's incredible. Wow, and you, so six hours or probably longer, right? Because getting to the hospital and everything. Because the one thing that somewhere I've seen this in a hospital, I'm hanging on a wall or something is, you know, when, if you suspect something like this, get get to the hospital as quickly as possible. (laughs) That's right. And you were like, nah, I'm going to take a nap. I'm (laughs) going to, because you just didn't know. Yeah, I did not know. And I think that because it was so late at night, it was almost 12 midnight when this mm. happened. So mm. I think that in my mind, I was rationalizing it as I'm, I might just be extremely tired, more tired than I thought that I was. And I think that to some degree, it probably was the stroke and the impairment, even at that point where I wasn't really reasoning the way that I may have reasoned if I had not had a stroke. I didn't know at that point that I had a stroke, but I definitely was tired. And I know now that it it probably wasn't just because it was late at night that I was tired, but also when you have a stroke, um, it does cause you to be very lethargic and, and tired. And in fact, once I did receive the diagnosis, I slept a lot in the hospital. I did a lot of sleeping. And even once I got home, I slept a lot. I was just really tired. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that makes sense because sleep is a time of healing for the brain, for the whole body. So it really does like your body is just like, no, you need to rest now. That's right. That's it's it's incredible. And and just, you know, the other aspect of it is not having risk factors, being so young. I have lots of questions from a health perspective, but like, how did it pan out? I mean, your speech is fine right now. Yes. Two years later, you seem perfectly healthy and fine. Yeah. Was it just a, a single event? And, you know, t- what were the after effects? 
sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm just very, very, my, my medical oriented mind is just incredibly curious about this. Sure. Well, I think that what helped me initially, even while I was waiting for them to run more tests in the hospital, they kept me for three days and they kept me for three days so that they could run more tests, given the fact that I am young and did not have any other risk factors. The first thing that they looked at was my heart because they said that often when individuals have strokes at such a young age, there's typically something going on with the heart. It's not That's not always the case, but in some cases it can be related to the heart. And so they did an echocardiogram with the bubble test. And based on that, they thought that they saw a tiny hole in my heart that's known as a PFO. And based on what I understand from what the doctors have shared with me, as well as some research that I have done, since that time is that we all are born with a tiny hole in our heart, but at infancy upon our birth, in most cases, it will close naturally on its own, but in a certain percentage of the population, it doesn't always close and it typically doesn't cause any health problems, but in some people, it can lead to Uh, an increased risk of having, say, a blood clot travel through that tiny hole and and going to your brain. And so they thought that that might have been the cause of me having a stroke at uh, 36. And so they recommended that I go and see a cardiologist upon being released from the hospital. And I did. And uh, they said that typically they would not close the hole, but with individuals who have a health history like mine, they said that they were going to or wanted to go in and, and attempt to close this hole that they thought that they saw in my heart. And so with that, I agreed. I agreed that I thought that that would be a wise way to go. And so they did go in and they started to do the procedure and they checked my stents because I do uh, have what's called May Thurner syndrome, where my veins, some of the veins in my body are not, they're different, you know, they're different and they can be narrower at, at certain points. So it affects my blood flow. And so they, they knew this. And um, because of that, I have two stents that are implanted inside of me to help keep one of my veins widened so that the blood flow can can flow more efficiently. And so they say, well, while we're going in for this surgery, we're also going in to check your stents to make sure there's no new blood clots that have formed around your stents. And there weren't. But when they went in to close the hole that they thought that they saw in my heart, they said that they could not find it. So they don't actually really know what exactly caused me to have the stroke. And while that is to some degree very frustrating, because if you don't really know what caused it, then you know that there's always 
there's always a risk that you could have another stroke, right? And in fact, there is research studies that have been done that show that if you have had a stroke once, that it does increase your risk of having a, a stroke in the future. But if you don't really know what the cause of, of an event is to begin with, it, it is a little frustrating. But I actually met with my neurologist earlier this week. And I met with her for my follow-up appointment because to your question about side effects, while my speech, my expressive speech came back within 48 hours, it, it, it came back to, it returned to its baseline, I should say. And after a couple of weeks, I think what I realized within myself, though I don't think it was as noticeable to others around me, but just knowing myself, I know that there were just some moments where I would feel frustrated because I could be in the middle of expressing a thought and a word that was just almost like at the tip of my tongue. It just, it, it, it escaped me. <laughs> and I would kind of be searching for it and then fill it in with another word. And, and I just noticed like those little subtle changes. And I am a person who loves language. So that has consumed my life. I taught uh, French to kindergarten scholars at, at the Foreign Language Immersion and Cultural Studies School in Detroit. And I studied French at the University of Michigan Dearborn. That wasn't my major, but it was it was something that I loved to study while I was there. And I did study abroad programs. And so I'm sharing that to say language is something that I love and it's something that uh, I still love. And so when you are a lover of language and I don't, even if you're not a teacher, <laughs> even if you're not a speaker, we all use language in some way. So when sure. you know yourself and you start noticing like little things within yourself, it may not be major to anyone else, but it's mm -hmm. frustrating to you. And that's how my experience was. And I think that while I knew that I had a stroke and while I knew how major that was, I didn't really fully process it on an emotional level until right. a couple of months after that, because I started having these, what I call uh, emotional overwhelm, emotionally overwhelmed moments where I could have been driving in my car and then I would just start crying and it was the strangest thing to me because mm -hmm. I am a sensitive person, but I am composed, you know, like I'm an emotionally composed person. And then I just felt like unhinged, you mm -hmm. know, in those moments. And I could not tell you why. And I just finally talked to a friend and I told her that, you know, I don't know if this has anything to do with me having had a stroke but I'm just having these moments and I don't know what to do. <laughs> and I'm so glad that I talked to her because she was able to send me some research journal articles for me to read. Mm -hmm. And when I read them, I said, okay, now I understand. And I was able to give myself a little bit more grace. I didn't self-diagnose, but I did reach out to my doctor and I shared what was going on because sometimes I think, we don't think to reach out to our doctors when it's something 
with our emotions. If it's mm-hmm. a pain in our leg, if it's, if it's a pain in our arm, you know, we might think to reach out to our doctor about that. But when you notice that something has changed within you emotionally, then we don't always think to reach out to a doctor about that. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. Wow, that's incredible. And so interesting, The because it it was a trauma. It was a trauma. And then you probably had like some shock and then after effects of some degree of PTSD, it sounds like. Maybe, you know, I I never was diagnosed with PTSD, but I think that there is something that happened to me emotionally. Um, Mm -hmm. I was able to sleep well at night. And so I didn't deal with any anxiety around if I go to sleep, will I wake up in the morning? I've heard some people say things like that, but it was almost like I went into overdrive. Instead of slowing down, I was just determined to go back to doing the things that I did before. And I could, I was still Mm -hmm. able to teach and I taught online uh, for the remainder of 2021. And then when we returned to the classroom in person in the fall of 2021, I also returned uh, to teaching. But I realized through that experience of being in the classroom again, that I wasn't ready for that. It was Mm -hmm. just too much on my body physically and my energy levels are starting. They have definitely improved from what they were um, since having my stroke. But being a teacher in the classroom is physically, emotionally and mentally demanding whether you've had a stroke or not. And so I think that for me, what I had to make peace with was that even if I'm not physically in the classroom, I'm still a teacher. And Mm -hmm. I do still teach, but I do teach in different ways, in different settings, because being in the physical classroom is too much on my body. Um, Mm -hmm. It's it's too much stress. (laughs) And when, if you think about a cup, you, you have a certain point where if you're filling that cup, it's going to overflow. Well, when you have a stroke, that space in your cup, has you have to be more intentional with how you feel it because it takes very it doesn't take as much for it to overflow as it did maybe before and that's mm-hmm. the best way that I can explain it and I've just had to learn that I have to pace myself when mm-hmm. it comes to doing certain things and that's okay because at least I can do them and so I try to take a positive view and I don't have as many emotionally overwhelmed moments, not only because of that, but um, I also when I reached out to my doctor, when I reached out to my neurologist about what was going on with me, she prescribed some medication for me that's really helped me. And um, I actually shared that with her this Tuesday when I went for my for my follow-up appointment that is it's helped me tremendously. And I think that's one thing that a lot of people, I really want them to understand is that when we talk about stroke recovery, many times we often talk about the physical aspects of recovery. But for someone like myself, I didn't have any physical side effects of having a stroke. And so in many ways, I think that to some degree, I think that's kind of made it a little bit more challenging in terms of advocating for myself in certain spaces. Because if you were just to meet me 
and not know my story, you wouldn't know that I had a stroke unless I told you. And, yeah. and but that doesn't mean that I don't need support. Right. Wow. Wow. And I think that that, you know, just to kind of bring it out to the broader population, I think they're first of all, you know, you ever you see these quotes everywhere is like, be kind, because you never know what someone else is going through. That's right. So, you know, you see these signs everywhere, these these memes on Facebook where they say, be kind because you don't you you don't know what someone else is going through and right. i think that's one thing that's important to keep in mind but also there are a lot of people who have a physical illness and emotional mental illness right? right and you don't know that i used to work in functional medicine i worked for 6 years with a functional medicine doctor and so many of those people you know had neurological pain brain issues in terms of like memory dysfunction and, you know, a gamut, a gamut of symptoms, extreme fatigue. You know, they walk into the office and they look perfectly healthy, but inside they're suffering. And it's just, I think that's a very, uh, something we can bring out to the general population, not just people who've had strokes that, um, again, I guess, be kind because you don't know what someone is going through. And Pain is very difficult to ma- it's difficult to be nice when you're in physical pain. And I think that I, I really want to bring up that point about what you said, how just because you didn't have that physical manifestation that so many people do have from stroke, it doesn't mean you weren't suffering. So uh, very good point. So did this, because I know you were a teacher and now you said you're teaching in a different environment. I know you have your own bit. You, did you start your own company uh, after this? Like, tell me about that part. (laughs) (laughs) Like I shared, you know, instead of slowing down, it was like I sped up after having my stroke, because I think that to some degree, the way that I have, as I've reflected on it, I think that I, instead of being fearful Like some people can be fearful that they might not wake up tomorrow. I took what I experienced and I said, I know there's still things that I really want to do. Let me do them now because I don't know if I'll be able to do them later. And I think that so often we put off things that we can do today because we we say sometimes to ourselves, well, I'll do that later. And I think that is common, especially when you're younger, because the the downside, I think, sometimes to being younger is that you operate many times like you have a lot of time, you know, but yeah. the reality is that none of us really truly know how much time we have. And I once heard uh, a speaker and writer that I love, her name is Priscilla Shire. She said, if you are 35. No, she said, if you are 25, but you only have until you're 30, then you're pretty old. And Mm -hmm. what she was really saying is that, you know, 25 is not old at all. But if you only have until you're 30 to be here, then it is. And so Mm -hmm. I operate with that mindset. And I think that, you know, I knew that before having my stroke at 36. But it was something about having that stroke that felt very close to the edge for me uh, that I was just like, you know, I had come into to 2021 with all of these big dreams and goals. 
And one of those goals was to start an educational consulting practice. So when I had my stroke, most people probably would say, well, wouldn't you think that it, it was time to take a step back and say, maybe I shouldn't do that this year? Well, for me, I didn't do that. Instead, afterwards, I went on and I delivered a speech that I had been practicing and preparing well before I had my stroke. I went on to deliver that speech just two months after having my stroke. And then in that same month, I started my business. So I didn't slow down. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And I've I've continued to to do the work that I love. But I will say this, I have slowed down a little bit in terms of my pace. I haven't stopped getting things done or being productive, but I have shifted my priorities and I have uh, changed my pace. (laughs) I think that's good. I think that's good. I think, again, that's a lesson for all of us, you know, as entrepreneurs or, or, you know, someone working in a corporate environment or even a school environment, (laughs) which I know can be, I've worked with a lot of teachers. It it can be very intense and thankless job, but, you know, our society is so focused on hurry up and be productive and hurry up and get it done and hurry up and make a lot of money and and be successful, you know, and it's like your race, it's like the race to nowhere kind of thing. Like where, where are we going? Where exactly are we going so fast? You know, and that's definitely been something for me. It's been a big focus of mine the past couple of years is, you know, how can I be more efficient with my time? And like you said, you know, having those priorities, like the clarity of, okay, Yes, I would. I could do twenty things today, but do I really need to do twenty things? That's like, right. what are you know, what are the top three? And can you know ten of those things? Do I even need to do those at all? That's so, right. that's I think the you know the ongoing uh, discovery, let's say, of of an entrepreneur is how can I be more efficient and effective with my time? Because you know, I was talking to someone else on the podcast, and she said. You know, she was very successful and it was all about, you know, she she used to work in corporate and then she had her own business, but she found that she had less freedom and less time being an entrepreneur. She was working all the time and it, it sort of defeats the purpose of being an entrepreneur if you can't take your kid to a, a, a soccer game, That's you know, right. so um, <clears throat> I think, you know, it's a wonderful learning. It's a wonderful lesson that that you've had and and I think I appreciate that you're highlighting it for all of us as a reminder we don't have to hurry up and get it all done right now let's That's right. In, enjoy the ride a little bit also I just want to highlight or I, I wanted to sort of ask you a little bit about your mindset around oh if you're 25 but you're going to die when you're 30 now is your mindset I could die at any moment or is it well, this happened and now I'm much more in an appreciation state of my life. And so I want to, you know, do all the, I, I just want to hear more about when you said the mindset. That's right. Can you describe it a little bit more? Because I think it's very, for those of us who haven't had that type of almost dying experience, right? I, right. I've, I've never had that, that I know of. <laughs> yeah. It's like a forced lesson that you got. It, maybe not, maybe not everybody learns, but it sounds like you did, you know, you shifted your mindset and what, can you describe a little bit more about what that means for you? I think that it was more of an urgency that I felt that, you know, there, there were just things, even though there are a lot of things that I've accomplished already and, and 
my now 38 years of living, there were just things that I still had on my heart to do. And, you know, there were some some things that I did not do at that point because I kept putting it off and saying, you know, well, I'll, I'll do it when I'm ready or I'll do it at another time. And I actually have a, a really good friend of mine who's also a writer, and she just wrote an article about this very thing about when I'm ready or uh, at some time is not a date on the calendar, right? You know, we have, you know, Monday through Sunday and, you know, we have 12 months and, and a year. And some people, the point is that some people say, well, I'll do it when I'm ready or I'll do it later. But the reality is that none of us know the future. We don't, we don't all we have, all we know that we have right now is, is the moment that we're in. And that's what I was saying is that, you know, I don't know, and I am a Christian, you know, so when I say, I don't know when God will call me home, what I'm saying is that I don't know uh, how many years I have here on this earth. I know how many years I've lived thus far, (laughs) you know, and I am hopeful that I have many more ahead of me. And I, I just believe and being mindful of the time that I do have. And I think that whether you're a Christian or not, that it's, it's wise to be mindful of the time that you have, because mm-hmm. it, you know, it's like that, that hourglass. I know I had grew up with grandparents and great grandparents. And one of my grandmothers loved watching, you know, before we had reality TV, we had soap operas, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, the uh, soap opera where when it comes on and say, as the sand is in the hourglass, these are the days of our lives. You know? oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and what I'm saying is that, you know what, sand is not being poured into the hourglass. Sand is going out of the hourglass. Mm-hmm. And we don't know when that sand is going to stop running out. Yeah. And so with the time that we have, you know, with the days of our lives, it's like, how are we spending it? And you mentioned something, Jill, earlier that I, I, I agree with is that, you know, we all have our, our values. We all have things that we prioritize. And some of the things that we prioritize are not really things that truly matter at the end of the day. Because if it's that job, well, we need money. If you have a job, you know, you need money to support your family, to provide for your family. But at any moment, if they came to you and they said, we no longer need you anymore, your family's still going to need you. Even Mm -hmm. if you don't have a family, you know, and it's just you, you're still going to have to take care of yourself. Your health is important. And that's one thing that Someone said to me, a really good friend of mine said to me, as I was pushing myself to get through the end of the school year for the last year that I was in the classroom, which was just this this past spring. So last spring, uh, we're in 2023 now. So last spring was the last time that I physically taught in the classroom. And I remember talking to a friend of mine and she said to me, she said, Robin, she said, you're pushing yourself so hard. And I know that you don't want to disappoint these kids. And I know mm-hmm. that you don't want to disappoint these families. But if something were to happen to you, they're going to find someone to replace you. And what she was trying to 
say to me, and I clearly understood her, was that everything is going to continue to go on, whether I take care of my health or not. Mm. Everything is going to continue to go on. And I think that sometimes, and I can only speak for myself, we we have such high expectations of ourselves and we put so much pressure on ourselves to show up in a certain way, even if it means like pushing ourselves kind of beyond our limits. And then we get burnt out and we, yeah. our bodies get worn down. And I was thinking to myself after considering what she said to me, it's like, well, I'm thankful that I survived having a stroke. I don't want to have another one. I need to do this for myself. And so I let my leadership know that I would not be returning to the classroom this past fall. And they said that they understood and they encouraged me to take care of my health. Wow. That's incredible. I, I, I think that's such a beautiful realization. And I, I mean, I think we all, like you said, you, you hear these things throughout life, you know, but it's right. like, it really hits home. And it's, I think we all need to be reminded of that. Like what's important in life? What's important to you? What are, what are your priorities right now? Like what's the number one priority? That's right. Like I, I am very clear on what that is for myself. And I think it helps with decision-making like, should I stay in this job or not? Well, what's, imp- what's the most important thing to me? Spending time with my family? Okay. Is this, is this job helping or hurting that? You know, like that's just right. understanding your values, your priorities. And I think that's a very poignant and really kind of jarring thing that your friend, you know, alluded to, which is very true is life is going to continue on. No, you know, the, the world doesn't really care if you take care of your health or not. Mm-hmm. If you show up, and you're exhausted, nobody cares, right? I mean, people care, but they don't really, really care. And, it, and, and the, frankly, it's not their responsibility, that's right? right. That's, that's the other thing I think that COVID, if it didn't teach a lesson to everybody, I think it should, is your health is your, your responsibility. Nobody can do it for you and nobody is going to do it for you. So take it easy, slow down, you know, again, like enjoy the ride. <laughs> right. Um, I'm feeling that just so much right now. And I've been doing a lot of deep meditations, which are actually quite short in length, but very deep because I, I use this process called the Silva method. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but okay. it's, it's actually from the 70s. But it's cool because I can get into a deep meditative state very quickly. And I feel relaxed all day. I've never had this in my life. Like, I'm never going back. I tell you, Robin, I'm never going back. I'm going to keep, I do this no matter what, I do this meditation because the benefits are so profound. I'm just in this nice, relaxed state all day. I love it. But, um, you know, everybody has to find what works for them. But it really is, I think, the the most important thing that we can do for our health. And, and I'm in the health world, so I think I can say this with some authority, is to slow down and respect our bodies and take care of ourselves, give our bodies the sleep that it needs, some good nutrition, doesn't have to be perfect, but you know, give it the raw materials that it needs. But really that slowing down of the nervous system is so powerful. It's so, so powerful. And I don't think that people understand how powerful it is because we're all stuck in that mode. So many of us, right, of hurry up and be successful, hurry up and get it done. Hurry up and, you know, even if you're a stay-at-home mom, 
you know, I was a stay-at-home mom for 11 years and it was like, I was busy all the time. I can't, can't tell you right now exactly what I was doing, but I was very busy. I believe you. <laughs> and um, being a mother, it never stops, you know, <laughs> you're always- But it was also, yeah, like, but the thing is, a lot of the thing, and I wasn't bad at this, but I think I, you know, I wasn't great was, you know, I would spend hours cleaning my house every day. Why? I didn't need to do that. You know, so I think a lot of it is like for appearances, you know, because the kids don't actually need, I mean, they need stuff, but I think a lot of it was extra work again, just extra work that wasn't really necessary. Like the, I remember, uh, ironically, I went to this, now I wasn't like this too much, but I went to this, you know, my kids were in this private school and they had this, uh, it was the holiday season. And so it was a gingerbread making uh, event. So we were all making these gingerbreads to sell at some event. And it was like, there were a couple of moms, they were so stressed out about it. And I remember we were, there were a bunch of her at this woman's house and we made the, all these gingerbread houses. And then the kid, her kids, the woman who was hosting and organizing and doing all this stuff, she, she was like running herself to the ragged. Mm-hmm. And I remember her kids were like having meltdowns. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, well, who is she doing this for? Because it's certainly not for the kids. Yeah. <laughs> the kids don't care. All, all they need is one gingerbread house. So it was very stark to me how often, and I think I see it in the corporate and an entrepreneurial world, where we're trying so hard to be everything to everybody for what? Yes. To to cause ourselves to get sick? I don't know. I, I just, I think that your message is so important. And I'm so happy you came on today to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. No. And, you know, I, I know that you mentioned earlier that you have a friend who said that she works now more as an entrepreneur than she did when she had a job. And, you know, I think that that can definitely be the case, especially if you're a solopreneur. And when you're starting out, you wear a lot of different hats. And I yeah. think that, you know, for me, because I was very intentional about why I was transitioning into full-time entrepreneurship, I've been very intentional also about leaning into my community. And when I say mm-hmm. that, I mean, I lean on my husband a lot for support. Um, I lean in on, I have a, a group of women that I meet with every month and we stay in touch throughout the month in different ways who are also entrepreneurs and, and business owners. And so whether it's reaching out to them and asking for different ideas on how to troubleshoot uh, with something that I'm, I'm dealing with, or even if they don't have the answer or know of a resource, they can sometimes, you know, refer me to someone who, who they do uh, have the answer. And so that has been extremely helpful for me. And I've actually found that I'm able to have more reign over my time as a full-time entrepreneur. So what I mean by that is it doesn't mean there's any shortage of things that need to be, get done. There's a lot of different aspects of running a business that has to get done, you know, whether you feel up to it or not. But what what I've discovered is that when I give myself breaks throughout the day, then I'm more likely to get through the tasks that I set out to get through. And then also, if there's something that I can delegate to someone else, then I'm, I'm more willing to do that now because I'm like, it's not worth 
me getting burnt out over it. And then if I get burnt out, then I'm not going to have the energy that I need tomorrow to get through the other things that I need to get through. So, so, and now I have two businesses and they are different and they need different things. And so I definitely have to be intentional with my time. And I always schedule time to whether it's taking a nap or just doing something that helps me to, to, become, like you mentioned, your meditation. There's things that I do to help myself kind of come down from a stressful day Mm -hmm. uh, so that I'm not getting overwhelmed emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. That's so important. Yeah. Wow. Well, this has been incredible, Robin. Thank you so much for sharing your story and your wisdom hard-earned wisdom (laughs) Um, and and also you know just this really the strategy of doing things that you don't put things off anymore like do those things and but also manage your health along the way and don't compromise your health to to get it done so I think those are very we call them in the clinical world we call them pearls clinical pearls and, you know, it's like, what's a good clinical pearl? It's like, oh, you know, take vitamin D every day or whatever. But this yeah. is like, you know, mindset pearls. So I uh, appreciate it so much. Thank you. You're more than welcome. So thank you so much for listening to that episode. I thought it was incredible and very inspiring for me. And if you want to learn more about Robin Wilson, you can check out her she has a link tree which means the uh, link will be in the show notes but you click on that and you can see all the various things that robin is up to her business is called heritage home and garden they sell produce she has three community garden plots in um, detroit where she lives they actually sell produce and from these these plots which is amazing and also they have workshops and events and greeting cards and so you can follow her on instagram and all of that so just click on that link and you'll see all of that information there so i just really want to reiterate what robin was talking about around if you don't take care of yourself your physical body and your emotional health right you're not going to be able to do all of the things that you want to do in life and this is a big driving factor for me in the work that we do in win wellness and weight loss and that is to help you mostly women to do all of the things that you want to do in life because that's ultimately what i think is that really the ultimate goal is to be able to enjoy your life and do and enjoy doing the things that you want to do so i think that's a really important lesson that robin shared with us that I would like to reiterate and say that, hey, you know, what we do is help you to take care of your body so that you can do all of those things. So check out our website, which is winweightloss.com, W-Y-N weightloss.com. And that stands for With Your Nature. So we are focused on sustainable, permanent weight loss and health overall, Uh, you know, moving through menopause with joy and comfort and also just being your best in this world so that you can you know do your passion and you can uh, go to our platform on mighty networks sign up for the love challenge and then you will get six specific tools to help you practice self-love and those of you who listen to the podcast regularly know that i always talk about 
you know, the foundation of taking inspired action, of taking action of eating better or getting to bed earlier or whatever it is, that all should come from a place of love. So that's why I created the love challenge for you at any time to go in and do those tools, practice those tools, even if it's just one of them, to improve your skill at practicing self-love. And it really is a skill, it's a habit, it doesn't just happen. So we have to make it happen if we wanna be at our best, which I believe you do, I know I do. Thank you.